Tomorrow night, uh, when I was pastor, I wrote some lesson books. I don't commonly travel with them when I fly, but I drove this time, and so with the pastor's permission, there'll be a little bit of uh, resources available, and I want to encourage you to come and see those. And then uh, I wanted to mention the pastor said, and I want to chime in with, this business about uh, COVID, not everything has been bad about the circumstances, right? The Christians have learned that, hey, you just got to adapt and overcome, right? You can't just sulk and suck your thumb and wonder and worry and fret and criticize. And, and uh, you know, even in the political situation, when they say, uh, for three weeks, the new president's been practicing signing his name. Maybe now we can move on to shapes and colors. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, that might, that might be disrespectful, but um, <laughs> but Pastor Nelson, uh, led me to Christ, and Pastor Brennan still took my place when I retired. And Pastor Brennan still is very, very perceptive, and he's got firm convictions about a lot of things, but he's very prudent. And I, I appreciate him in a lot of ways, but I respect him. When our state uh, governor, Wisconsin's got a liberal Democrat governor, and he just you know, essentially gives these edicts, hey, we all have to shut down. And by our, by our state laws, you can only do that for 90 days, an emergency health declaration, and after that it has to be a state legislature that votes on it. You know, hey, the emergency measures are one thing, but now we've had 90 days to think about it. And, and so a group of them, and, and Pastor Brennan among the leaders, uh, said, hey, we're going to file a lawsuit against our governor that he's overstepped legal bounds. And uh, Pastor Brennerstall went and testified at our state Supreme Court and ultimately at the legislature. And they refused to renew all of the draconian mandates that the governor had said. And so he was responsible for that then our county has a, a health department, and the head of the health department said, look, if the state doesn't have these mandatory uh, mandates, uh, then we're going to pass a county law. Well, our church is in the county, and, and so they had a county meeting, and hey, we're going to have even stricter, nobody can breathe, and all of that, and, um, and Pastor Brennan went and testified at the county. But he took 300 of our church members, and the county board tabled it and wouldn't bring it up for a vote. And then our city council, city of Oshkosh, said, well, they were going to pass a mandate, and he went and testified at the city council. And I'm saying... Wouldn't have had these venues were it not for this circumstance, right? But here's what's happened in our county. Our sheriff was at the meeting where our pastor 
stood up and said, look, I pastor adults. And he said, I teach our people what they should do with their finances, but I don't run their checkbook. I teach them what the Bible says. I teach our people about how to raise their children, but I don't spank their children. I don't instruct their children. I pastor adults and they lead their families. And I tell them, here's what's reasonable and prudent and we as a church will distance every other pew and we have special services for the vulnerable and we tell the sick people to stay home. We do all that's reasonable and prudent. But I will not enforce laws and rules that I don't believe are helpful at all. And so the result is the sheriff of our county was at the meeting and stood up and said, you can pass any rule you want, but I'm not going to enforce it in our county. And he got saved and he and his wife come to our church. And I'm just saying, it's not all bad, you know. I mean, God can use even this kind of stuff to praise him. And so I'm rejoicing and wow, I, uh, I'm excited for Tuesday night. I'm already uh, looking forward to that. But tomorrow night, oh, you wouldn't want to miss that. So um, here in the book of Job, in, in, um, you know the story. So Job gets... Uh, the Lord says, hey, look at my servant Job. He fears me and his choose evil. And Satan says, well, let me at him. And the Lord does. And Job passes that with flying colors. And then he says, well, let me touch his body and he'll curse you to your face. And, and of course, he's there on the ash heap, scraping with the shard of pottery, scraping his boils and miserable, but he didn't curse God. And he passed that with flying colors. So along comes Bildad the Shuhite and Eliphaz the Temanite and Zophar the Namathite. And these three guys come and they are going to pontificate to Job about all of this circumstance. And so tonight I just want to... Um, we could almost go home now. <laughs> it's a long road to a small house. But the house we're going to is, I want you to say this out loud, I need more humility. St together. I need more humility. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Wow, it's a miracle that you could use any of us for anything. Surely it's the last days if you're down to using the likes of us. But Lord, while we're here, help us be all you'd have us to be. You said, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Help us to remember that. Lord, uh, everybody's having a tough time. Everybody's fighting battles. Everybody has their own warts and wiggles and weaknesses. Everybody has their shortcomings and failures. Everybody has their secret fears and 
external burdens and the horrible penchant for sin. And Lord, if anything's going to get done, if any good's going to be accomplished, if you could do anything in, with, and through us, why, Lord, you're going to have to do it because left to ourselves, we'd utterly dishonor you. And Lord, in this business of dealing with one another, would you give us humility, I pray. Help us to have a genuine compassion without pretending that we know everything that everybody ought to be doing. We'll be sure to praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we have then these three guys. And they come along, and wow, they, here's Job. He's on the ash heap. He's miserable. His wife says, curse God and die. It's the, the most uh, disconcerting and frustrating circumstance any man's been in. And wow, uh, you and I probably would have jumped off a cliff or something. I mean, the average person wouldn't have the, the character and the stick to that Job had. I mean, it's, it's really an amazing story to suffer the loss of all of his children. Uh, it's, it's just remarkable what he went through. But God has preserved that so you and I could read it and learn from it. And while, you know, hast thou considered my servant Job, and you get to the book of Hebrews and look at the patience, you've heard of the patience of Job, and how many people has that helped through all kinds of circumstances. I could tell you horror stories. 51 years in the ministry, and I know people have gone through things that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And um, some of the most difficult things, but the story of Job has what's helped to buoy them through those things and say, hey, look, I can leg it out to the end. If he can do with that, then I can do with this. And uh, so I know God has a purpose for all of this, but basically the guys come and they say, hey, Job, look, uh, you know, uh, the curse causeless shall not come, and so there's probably some secret sin Look, it's easy to say, I know why you're going through this. That's, that's the 10 cent answer. When my son Aaron, 13 years old, and they have diagnosed him with a brain tumor and say he's going to die, this is going to be terminal, we're going to try to give him some margin of life, for if, we're going to try to keep him comfortable... I mean, hey, Lord, uh, put it in me. I don't want my son to have to go through this. I would I'd much rather give it to me. I confessed every sin. I confessed sins I didn't do. I confessed sins, uh, donuts that I was going to eat next week. I confess those is wrong. Yeah. I'm saying, when, when you're going through tough times... Nobody has to remind you that, hey, we've all done enough stuff wrong. It's no comfort. It's no help. 
Another one comes along and says, well, you know, Job, you're probably self-righteous. That's why God had to do this to you. And on and on and on. And I mean, they just lather it to him until you get to chapter 16. And look with me at the, the verses that we'll just jump off with here. Verse 1, then Job answered and said, this is Job 16, 1, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Oh, you came here ostensibly to comfort me? You're just heaping accusations on me. You're just making me more miserable. Look how he says it. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as ye do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged. And though I forbear, what am I eased? But now he hath made me weary. Thou hast made desolate all my company. You know, uh, wow, I was better off without you here trying to comfort me. Comfort like yours, I could do without. With friends like you, I... Who needs enemies? And there is a penchant. There is a tendency. There is a trend in people. And I'm going to say this, especially in Christian circles, because we have the authority of the Bible, because we do have a worldview that's different, we tend to say, here's the solution for this. Here's what ought to have been done. Here's what you should do now. I would say this. We have a very strong tendency to do that. And when you're in leadership, it's even more endemic. I mean, hey, uh, they're looking for direction, and I think here's... But wow, wow. I always say nobody has a Deputy Holy Spirit badge right here that says, I know what God's doing. I know for sure what ought to be done here. I know for positive, this happened, one plus one equals two. Therefore, now listen, we all, it's, it's normal, it's human to want to be right. And if you have one ounce of the milk of human kindness, you honestly want to help people. And so, wow, what do they say? If you're going deeper and deeper in a hole, the first thing you do is quit digging. You know, hey, I'm smart enough to say that. I was talking to a couple. They came to see me, and uh, the wife says, look, I'm thinking of getting a divorce, and... I just really don't sense or feel that he honestly loves me. I just, I have this feeling that he's just going through the motions and he, it just doesn't seem 
genuine to me and i can't shake the feeling that he doesn't honestly enjoy being with me he doesn't want to stay married to me he's just saying it and the husband <laughs> and we men can be pretty obtuse <laughs> but he says listen I told you I loved you when we got married. And I love you because the Bible commands me, husbands love your wives, so I love you. I'm obeying the command of God. What more do you want? <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, I have no idea why you think he's just going through the motions. Even if that's how you feel, don't you think you could mask it a little better than that? <laughs> wow. Crippled too high for crutches. And, but I'm saying in interpersonal relations, I'm, I'm pleading tonight just this simple thing for you to learn the humility to say, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't pretend to know. I, I, I'd like to be the guru of all human knowledge, and I'd like to tell you, here's, I know for sure what's happening, and here's why. But God has a hammer big enough for any one of us to humble us, so we're not so quick to give answers. And so you traipse through the book of Job and wow, these guys speak and then Job answers and they speak and Job answers and eventually you get to chapter 36 or 5 or somewhere in there and Eliphaz, the, I mean Elihu, uh, says, hey, I said age should speak, but his wrath was kindled because Job justified himself and his friends found no answer. And he's mad at the three of the comforters. He's mad at Job. And he stands up and says, I said age should speak. And uh, the, the wisdom, I held my peace. And then he says, but there's a spirit in man. And he says, I couldn't hold my peace any longer. I just couldn't shut up anymore. Hear me carefully. I believe in the wisdom of age and experience. They say experience is the best teacher if you're too stupid to listen to somebody who's been there. You don't have to repeat all the mistakes. They have all the scars and say, well, now I have experience. Hey, if you're smart, you listen to people who have had experience and you try to avoid some of those same scars. You learn it from the scriptures or the scars, but we all believe the same thing at the end. God's right, the Bible's true, eternity's long. We're all going to believe the exact same thing someday. Just a matter of where you learn it from. But here, he says, great men are not always wise, and I preached that here a year ago, and, and hey, it says in the, in the book of Proverbs, the hoary head, in other words, white hair, is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. 
just because somebody is old does not make them wise. They're just old. There's no fool like an old fool. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Some guy that just keeps repeating the same mistakes, just because he got to be 70 years old, right? They asked a guy who'd been married 50 years, what was the secret to a long marriage? He says, I'll tell you. We went out to eat six nights a week. I went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> she went Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I don't know if that necessarily is good advice. The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. You take somebody who fears God, who lives with the Lord, walks in a bath obedient to the Bible, and they go through their life experiences. We all take our turns. I was raised with this saying, everybody's got problems but us. My grandpa was missing his left hand, cut off in the cross auger, of a thrashing machine. My dad was missing his right hand, cut off in the husking bed of a new idea corn picker. And things would come our way, and I'm saying uh, an aunt or an uncle would come and visit, and they'd talk about the grievous situation with one of their children, or they'd say, hey, our company's closed, and I'm looking for a job. And of course, my dad would say after they left, you know, everybody's got problems but us. And then he'd hold up his stub, which was his way of saying, look, we all take our turns. We all take our turns. It just, it's my turn now. It's his turn later. Uh, Nobody gets through unscathed, even pastors. I don't know a single pastor who has had it all. Uh, he's got a trophy wife who's a godly Christian. All of his children are serving the Lord faithfully. He has a big, growing, flourishing church. There's no division. There's all kinds of money. He's a deep theologue. He doesn't have any health issues. I don't know anybody like that. Right? I'm saying every pastor, if he's worth his salt, God has driven him to his knees where he had to find out I need to depend upon God too. So then he was in a condition where he could help and serve other people and have an ounce of the kindness as he deals with people. And so, hey, there's a there's a book in... in it's from the 50s. Dr. Watchman Nee wrote it. He was uh, responsible for several good books, but one of them is called The Ministry of God's Word. And he said, listen, there is a difference between teaching the Bible and ministering the Bible. And that line of demarcation is whether or not you've experienced it. He said, a Roman Catholic priest that's never been married can teach every word of the Bible of what it says about marriage. But a guy who's been married can minister, not just teach. He said a guy who has never raised children can pontificate about, hey, here's how you should raise your kids. 
But, wow. Anybody that's raised kids has one or two where they say, where, where did you come from? comes from my wife's side of the family. Now, Watchman Nee in his book, The Ministry of God's Word, he, he talked about how Paul said, most gladly will I therefore glory in my infirmities. And he used this description. He said, we're walking down a corridor with rooms on either side, like at a motel room or in a Sunday school department, and you're walking down the corridor, and you're going through your life as a pastor. But then, maybe your wife is stricken with cancer, and you have to stop and deal with that. And when you get up from that, and you're walking, and then you see above that room, there's a sign that says, Wives with Cancer. And he says, you open that door and there's a whole group of people in there that you would have walked past. But now, when the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, we comfort one another with the same comfort wherewith we are comforted of God. God allows you to minister to a group of people that you would have ordinarily walked past. Those who had a loved one commit suicide. Those who have a child who was raped or pregnant out of wedlock. Those that have lost a job through no fault of their own. He said, all the way down the hallway, there are doors that you would ordinarily walk past. But when you've encountered something in life and you walk in those rooms, you can minister the Word of God to people that you never could have helped before. And so God allows you to go through those circumstances so you can minister to someone else. Empathize, identify, hear. Listen, before, when I first started pastoring and I saw the faraway look in a widow's eye, and she was lonely, I'd go to a rest home and she'd be sitting there biting her lip and a tear on her face. I'm sorry. But you know, when I took care of my own daddy and spent a year carrying him to the shower, cleaning up the vomit, Stripping down, getting in the shower, and cleaning off his soiled backside. Trying to get him to take medications, carrying him to the car to take to the hospital, listening to him beg, please don't take me there, I'll never come back, Randy, please don't take me there. Hey, I went through a hellish, damnable year that I wouldn't wish on any human. And now when I see a tear in somebody's eye, Randy doesn't walk past. Now Randy stops and has prayer and says, hey, God, please give this person grace. Give them comfort. Give them hope beyond the grave. 
Why? Why? Because when you've experienced some things, God has a way of humbling you to where you pay attention to what other people are going through. And I'm not an expert at it. I'm just saying I've learned it the hard way here, folks. When I hear somebody, and I'm going to say this, um, it's probably, I should probably hide a little bit. I hate the word journey. When you're a pastor and people say, well, yes, I'm drinking now, or no, I'm not in church, or whatever, and they go, can I tell you about my journey? I go, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to hear about your journey. I've heard all the journey stories I want to hear. Everybody I know has gone through hard times. Everybody I know knows a pastor that disappointed them once. Everybody I know has had trouble in their marriage. My dreamboat turned into a barge. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it just, I mean, get over yourself. I don't care about your journey. Here, tell me about your obedience to the Word of God. Tell me about that. Now, I promise you, it's not that I don't care. But what I won't countenance is somebody using that as their excuse for failure and disobedience. Hey! Hey! I could tell you stories all day long of people who have gone through infinitely worse things than you. Your journey, oh, how come the, the boss promoted his son instead of me? Oh, wow. You, that, you probably are getting a martyr's crown for that. I'm saying, I, I hate to sound quite as hard as I'm sounding, but I'm saying when you care about people and all that, but what you don't want to see is them using that as an excuse for why they're dysfunctional. I have a litany of things I could tell you that curl your hair if you knew the, the truth of it. And um, so, but that part, just forget that. That was just not even part of the. Turn to Job 37. I hope you know and understand. I do believe there's a place for comfort and counseling and all of that. But there's not a place for justifying sin and disobedience. I don't care who you are. The same God that says, Beware, lest any of you fail of the grace of God. I commend you to God and the word of his grace. This life can be a slog. I'm sorry for it. But let's do right. Let's just do right. Well, if you look at chapter 37 and 
this is where we're going to land and the small house. <clears throat> One of the things at the end of Job, what happens is this. Everybody's given their opinions. Everybody's given their ideas. Job's saying some things he shouldn't have and all of that. And at the end, God says, okay, in chapter 38, gird up now thy loins like a man and answer thou me. Where was thou when I formed the earth? Where was thou when the sons of God sang together? Where were you? In other words, he's saying, look, don't pretend you know everything that's going on in the big picture. I'm still in charge here. The God of all the earth will do right. When you, the guy says, if God would put me in charge for just one day, you'd see some things changed around here. If he'd give me his power, he said, but if he'd give me his wisdom, I'd probably leave things pretty much the way they are. Just having enough perception to say, hey, I'm not going to exalt my sense of fairness above his righteousness. I'm not going to exalt my little pitiful level of understanding against his divine omnipotence and omniscience. Who am I? And all the book of Job kind of points toward, look, just rest in this. The God of all the earth will do right. He's still in the God business, and he'll take care of things. Don't worry. Everything you're going to endure in this life is temporary. Now, in chapter 37, he uses nature as the, as the kind of the example. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 37, Hear attentively the noise of his voice and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. He directeth it under the whole heaven and his lightning under the ends of the earth. So now we're going to get into Mother Nature, if you will. Uh, what's, what's the old saying? Everybody's talking about the weather, but nobody's doing anything about it. Well, God's doing something about it. He's in charge of the whirlwind. And it gives this uh, verse 4, after it a voice roareth, right? So notice, the lightning, right? Light travels faster than sound. The lightning comes, and after it, the voice, the thunder, right? I mean, it's, it's a scientifically accurate book. And then, with the voice of his excellency, and he will not stay them when his voice is heard, God thundereth marvelously five with his voice, great things doeth he which we cannot comprehend. Notice the humbling, you know, don't pretend to have all the answers, but there's a God who's still in charge here. Which he saith, uh, um, for he saith, verse 6, to the snow, be thou on the earth. Likewise to the small rain and to the great rain of his strength. He sealeth up the hand of every man that all men may know his work. Then the beasts go into, the, into dens and remain in their places. Right? Winter comes, animals hibernate. Let me see, how much of that are you in charge of? Right? None! But it seems to work out. They hide, then they come out. 
Notice uh, verse uh, 9, out of the south cometh the north, right? I was in Florida. When I drove back, the south winds came. And now it's 50 degrees in the whole northern tier of states. And everybody goes, thank you, Randy, for bringing the warmth back up here. Yep, you're welcome. I uh, 45 today, that was me. Right, get serious. By the breath of God, verse 10, frost is given, and the breadth of the waters is straightened. Also by watering he weareth a thick cloud, he scattereth his bright cloud, and is turned round about by his counsels, that he may do whatsoever he commandeth them upon the face of the world in the earth. I'm just just leading you up a primrose path here to this next verse. I have written in the front of my Bible, Job 37, 13, and I just have this word, why? Why? There have been books and books. There's been Catholic priests secluded in monasteries for centuries. And the question, the age-old question, why do good, bad things happen to good people? Why did God allow evil in the world? Why is there suffering? How come these things have befallen them? That is the age-old question for politicians and philosophers and theologians for all the ages of mankind. And it's basically, how could God be just and loving and allow suffering? That's Oh, age-old question, why, why, why? It goes contrary to our concept of God Almighty. It just doesn't seem right. I, look, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was in Florida. A 32-year-old pastor, he's got a 5-year-old, a 3-year-old, a 17-month-old girl. He's pastoring his first church. He loves the Lord, believes the Bible, but when his wife was pregnant with her third child, she was found to have a cancerous tumor in her brain. The doctor said, hey, you've got to abort this baby. We're going to use strong chemotherapy drugs. It's going to kill the baby anyway. Hey, to save the life of the mother, it's okay to get an abortion. Let's abort the baby right away. And she says, hey, I've got two little boys, and this is a little girl. And I'm going to carry this to term. And they said, hey, this is an aggressive, fast-growing cancer. If you wait until you bear the child, that cancer will be too far advanced, and we won't be able to treat it, and we'll refuse to treat you if you don't get this abortion. And her and her husband said, hey, we're not, we're not getting an abortion. She has the child. It's a beautiful little baby girl. But a month later, she's so overwhelmed with the cancer, it's raging through her brain. She is going in and out of consciousness, can't keep her balance. And here's a 32-year-old young dad taking care of a 5-year-old, at that time 4 and two-year-old, <clears throat> and a newborn baby. But he's also spoon-feeding his wife, 
No insurance. Small church. Hey, hey. She soils the bed. He changes his baby's diaper. Then he changes his wife's bedding. Months. She goes in and out of comatose. He's looking at this little baby girl. She's a spitting image of her mother. He watches this one coming into the blossom of life while this one evaporates in front of him. And I'm there. And he says, Pastor King, our family's going to gather around the bed. My wife's going to die. Could you do our Wednesday night service? I won't be there at all. I'm sorry, but I have to be by her bedside. See, I didn't say, well, brother, I'll tell you why this happened. I don't know. But you can imagine, if you'd been where I've been, most people's problems are pretty pitifully small compared to what he's going through. Right? I felt bad because I had no shoes till I met a man who had no feet. There's always someone with the worst circumstance. I was there. I had prayer with them. She died. I was at her funeral, 700 people, for a 32-year-old pastor's wife. And my first answer was I got out a piece of paper and I said to God, now look, if you want to take somebody out early, look at this, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, I got a list of names I'm submitting to you, uh, people that we could do without around here. I'm not in charge of very much. I cannot make my neighbor's dog mind, let alone anybody else. When I say we need more humility, well, God doesn't leave us completely without explanation. He says in this verse number 13, and I want to recommend that you always keep this. He causeth it to come. And now watch, whether for correction or for the land, for his land, or for mercy. Yes, things happen. Yes, there are things that are grievous. Yes, there are things that just defy human explanation. We know that we're only here temporarily. We know, he says, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. Nobody has a promise of tomorrow. Don't be shocked if your grandparents die and then your parents die and then your loved ones your age die. I mean, that's why all little kids are grinning and all middle-aged people are like this and all the people in the rest home are like this. Because you're getting to the winter years and hey, Hey, uh, three score and ten, maybe maybe four score, but I turned 70 this year. And uh, I never wanted to be married to a great-grandmother. <laughs> but now I'm pretty happy, you know, I got here. 
right? I mean, we're just here temporarily, so that's just part of, dying is part of living, right? But he causeth it to come. In other words, God does bring some things. Just as much as he brings the south wind, just as much as he brings the thunder and lightning, just as much as he brings the north, the cold, God causes some things to come. We don't want to duck that. That's what he plainly says. And then he gives these three possibilities. He causeth it to come. Whether for correction and other, that word weather, every Christian needs to memorize that. Weather for, I don't know. Yes, it's true. The curse causeless shall not come. Yes, it's true. You reap what you sow. Yes, it's true that some things that befall you are because of correction. You fry your brain on drugs, you smoke like a chimney and you get premature lung cancer and the doctor says your alveoli and your lungs are completely destroyed, you have COPD and, hey, you're going to struggle to breathe the rest of your life. Don't shake your fist at God and say, why, God? Why? Why? Hey, hey, you knew, you knew, you knew this was a very big possibility. You don't get to walk into work every day and say, no, I, I don't want to start at 7. I know everybody else starts at 7. 8.30 is a better time for me. I'm kind of a night owl, and I don't like getting up. And, and then don't come and say, well, why did they fire me? <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> right? I'm saying 2 plus 2 makes 4. There are things that just happen for correction. Let's not dismiss that. God is righteous. From God's character of love comes mercy and long-suffering and forgiveness. But from his attribute of holy comes justice and judgment and equity. Just as surely those proceed from God Almighty. And so... Hey, hey, some things happen for correction. I, uh, I think all too often, Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. The devil made it, me do it. The little kid's standing in front of his dad. He's got all D's and F's on the report card. And he says, uh, boy, dad, they're giving the same grades that they gave when you were in school. <laughs> or... You know, Dad, do you think this is hereditary or environmental? We'd love to blame it on every other circumstance than take responsibility, wouldn't we? I'm just saying, that's human. I'd rather give God a black eye. I'd rather shake my fist at him. I'd rather get angry and bitter than to own, I probably caused this. God does send some things for correction. That man should find nothing after himself. Hey, you can't go your own way, insist on your own stubborn will, and not reap the whirlwind. It just doesn't work like that. But notice then it says, He causeth it to come whether for correction 
or for his land. This is a very wonderful truth. And this is something you should have firmly in your brain. It's not all about you. Two things I know for sure. There is a God, and I'm not him. (laughs) Right? I know those two things. Hey, hey, here's a mother in Germany that has a Christian son, and she's praying and begging God, please, Save my son, spare my son, help us to win the war, please God. And over here's a woman in Virginia, and she's got a son in the United States military, and it's 1942, and they're fighting in Belgium. And she's praying for her son to live, and for America to win the war. And what, we got God in some kind of trap here? She's praying for her son. He's praying for his son. She's, she wants them to win. They were, look, I prayed for the Packers to win the Super Bowl. Okay, I'm kidding about that, but I'm saying, look, there might be a lot bigger picture going on than what you have any comprehension of The God of all the earth is going to have his way in the earth. How many Christian godly mothers down in the south in 1861 and 2 and 3 were praying, God, help us to win the war, this war of northern aggression, and hey, a state's rights is at stake here. And there were a lot of right things that the southern states believed and practiced Slavery wasn't one of them. But up north, here's a woman from Pennsylvania praying for her son. Here's a dad in Wisconsin praying for his family. Is God some kind of trapped? Can both of them win the war? Are we going to have slavery or aren't we? Right? I'm saying, hear me carefully. It's not always just about you and your individual circumstance. The little boy in California is turning 10 years old. His mom's all excited. She's planning a big birthday party. She tells him, hey, for your 10th birthday, you're getting a bicycle, and we're going to throw a party. We're going to invite the whole neighborhood, all of your classmates. We're going to have 40 people here. We're going to cook out. We're going to have special games. We're going to have a whole afternoon of party just for your 10th birthday. And he so anticipated, looked forward to it. But that Saturday morning broke cloudy and rainy. And it rained all morning. And it rained in the afternoon. There was a cloudburst. All of the ribbon that she had strewn, all of the decorations they had laid out, nothing could be brought out of the garage It was a deluge. They called off the party. And the boy was angry and sad. And he's there weeping in the open door of the garage. And in the afternoon around 5 o'clock, a guy walked by that had long hair. And the little boy just shouted out, Jesus, why did you make it rain? And the guy just turned around and said, 
Son, the trees needed a drink of water. And then kept walking. That's a true story. But there's a very simple truth. There might be something a lot bigger going on than you have any understanding of that you'll know and understand. Nobody's going to stand before God someday and say, listen, you answer to me, why did you make mosquitoes? Uh, If he says the birds got hungry, what are you going to say? Nobody is, at that day, nobody is going to say, God, why did you do that? He does all things well. The sooner you learn that, the better. Whether for correction, or for the land, or for mercy, you don't know what he might be protecting you from. That could have happened. He knows all outcomes, all eventualities, but he knows all possibilities. I'm at a home. They've called me. It's Memorial Day weekend. There's a big family, extended family gathering, 40, 50 people. They've got a 36-foot above-ground swimming pool. It's a hot day. Everybody's enjoying the pool. It's all family. They say, hey, it's time for supper. Everybody get out. Kids, towel off and throw some clothes on. We're going to have lunch. They've cooked out on the grill. It's 1.30 in the afternoon. And wow, we're all going to eat. Everybody out of the pool. They look, there's nobody in the pool. So they get changed and they line up and hey, they're going through the line and everybody's got and this family sitting at this table and this family sitting at that table and hey, where's Meredith, the eight-year-old girl? I don't know, we called everybody. I don't know, maybe she's in the backyard. Well, go check again. They go look and hey, nobody's in the pool. Nobody's in the backyard. Well, maybe she's still in the bathroom. Go check the bathroom. No, she's not in the bathroom. Well, you don't suppose she got to talking to a neighbor kid or walked down the street. The dad says, well, I'll quick run down the block and see. I don't, she's not in the house. She's not in the basement. I don't see her. For an hour, they're looking for Meredith. Every minute go by, mom gets a little more frantic. And they go back out in the pool. And here's one of these floaties, one of these air mattresses floating on the top. And underneath is that little girl. No knowing how long she had been under there. But see, I promise you she's not breathing. I promise you they call the ambulance, 911, do, trying to do a resuscitation. 
But I'm there. I'm there. When grandpa calls and says to the dad, I told you you were an irresponsible parent. I told you, you know, you killed your kid. You're going to have to live with that the rest of your life. You were irresponsible. How dare you let your kids go in a pool like that? She was too young, you know. She wasn't a good swimmer. Hey, hey, hey. When he gets done getting the diatribe of his father, and he hangs up the phone, and he looks at the pastor and says, Brother King, why did God do that? Why did God take my child? Hey, hey, I, I want to be someplace else. Hey, maybe for correction, that's a possibility in every circumstance. Or maybe for the land, maybe there's a lot bigger picture. Or maybe for mercy. What if she didn't get hit by a car and be a paraplegic that you had to take care of for the next 40 years? That God protected you from something. What if she'd have been a dopehead? What if she'd have said at 13, I'm a lesbian and it brought unmitigated shame to your family? When we get to heaven, we're going to find out God is a mighty good God, a merciful God. I have no idea. I wouldn't pretend to know. I would never cast those kind of aspersions on the child, but I know God. I know the Bible. I know what God says. Some things he does for mercy that we will not understand until the time comes. What if Job endured those sufferings that he might help millions of Christians through this life and eternity? It's too bad, you know what they say, sucks to be you. Too bad. But what about when we get to heaven? Do you believe we're going to stand before God and say, wow, you really messed that one up. Oh, wow. That, that, was, that was way contrary to my plans, God. You know, you really blew it there, God. Are we going to look at Job 37, 13 and say, hey, Lord, some things you did for correction. And some things you did for the land. You had a purpose for the North winning the war. You had a purpose that all of the world isn't speaking German and Japanese. And you have a purpose for why you do things that defy human explanation. But Lord, when I know, then shall we know even as we're known. Thou hast known my uprisings and my downsigs. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, you know me better than I even know myself. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to know even as also I am known. Between here and eternity, help me have humility. Help me say, Lord, I know you're in charge. 
Lord, this isn't what I would have voted for. I pray, I lead someone to Christ, I baptize them, I disciple them, I baptize their kids, and then I would want everybody to come to our church, grow, and stay there forever. But the guy gets crosshairs with me and gets angry and critical and leaves the church, and I'm no end of frustrated Wow, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to... Look at this. But two years later, when he was in a different church and fondling a little boy, then I go, well, you know, maybe God knows more about it than me. At least it wasn't my grandson. Right? You understand what I'm saying? We, we, when we get to heaven, every one of us is going to worship God Almighty and say, you do things well. All of this down here is because of sin. If it wasn't for sin, none of this would be. But, Lord, you do cause it to come, whether for correction or for the land or for mercy. Lord, I submit myself fresh and new to you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Something God protects us from. Sometimes he gives us grace to go through. But I wonder tonight, just in the quietness of this Sunday night here at Freedom Baptist Church, if we could say, Lord, please just give me humility. Help me not pretend to know what everybody else ought to be doing. Help me not pretend to know everything that you're doing. Help me to commit the keeping my soul unto you as unto a faithful creator, fresh and new today. Everybody's having a hard time. Everybody has challenges. Everybody's been humbled, Lord, would you help me to be true and faithful till you come for me. Give me the grace to go through whatever I have just in front of me. But Lord, I've learned to trust you, and I'm going to trust you with each circumstance, including the immediate that I face. Could you pray a prayer like that just between you and God tonight? Lord, thank you. You cause things to come, whether for correction or for the land or for mercy. But I will not raise my fist, my voice, against a holy, majestic, almighty, and omniscient, omniscient, loving God. Lord, I'll not raise a voice of criticism to you. My complaint you hear but Lord, give me grace. Heavenly Father, 